0: If you don't know where that is, that is in the Old Testament. Jonah was one of twelve minor prophets. They don't call him minor because he was small, but because it's a small book. It's not minor in significance or importance, but it's one of the twelve shorter prophecies or shorter prophets in the Old Testament. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jonah, and we've got a treat for you. We're actually going to read the entire book of Jonah. Now don't panic because it only takes about six minutes or so. There are four chapters in the book of Jonah. And for context, there's something about hearing God's word spoken where you can hear God's word in its entirety and get the big picture of Jonah. So that's what we want to do at the outset here. So go ahead and come on up if you will. And oh, Dave, perfect. Everybody come up on the stage just to make the transitions easier. Nobody likes being on stage. That's okay. Go ahead and come up and then... David, I'll have you read first, and let's turn your Bibles to Jonah. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. We're going to be reading Jonah 1 through 4. It is not on the overheads, on purpose. Just hear God's Word, follow along in God's Word, and let's listen to what God has to say to us.
1: Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amate, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights.
2: Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land.
3: Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them. To the least of them, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything; let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may overturn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, ways, evil way, God relented of the disaster And he had that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it.
4: Chapter 4 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle?
0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this account That tells us of you. God, that tells us of your nature, of your character, of your ways of interacting with humanity. God, thank you for this account really of your mercy. Your mercy on Jonah, your mercy on people who are evil, your mercy on your enemies. God, thank you that you show yourself to be a God of mercy. Lord, Would you have mercy on each and every one of us here? Will we hear your words today? Will we respond to you? Would we respond in faith? Would we respond, Lord, out of obedience? But Lord, may we respond in light of your great mercy, I pray. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill all of us with your spirit. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, have you ever played that word association game where one person says a word, and then immediately you followed up with another word. And so when somebody says, I don't know, box, you might say tan or um, something like that, where you you have different words. And you say, okay, as fast as you can without thinking, what is the next word that you hear? And so if I was to say, hey, the word Jonah, what's the next word that you would say? Veggie Veggie tails and then whale. Okay, good. So that's generational differences there. And then if you say, you know, it's the story of Jonah and the fish or whale. There you go. Good. So it's immediately the thing, the first thing that you think of when you think of Jonah. And it might be VeggieTales and that great production, but they're having this giant production inside of a whale. It's a little weird. Um, But then again, so are talking vegetables. But anyway, so... If you think of Jonah, most people in, in today's world, even unbelievers, if, they, if you mention, hey, have you ever heard the story of Jonah? They're like, oh yeah, I've heard the story of Jonah and the whale. But as you're reading, as you're hearing God's word just read to you all four chapters, the interesting thing is out of all four chapters, there's only three verses that have anything to do with the whale. Jo- Jonah's not a story about a whale. Whale. Jonah really, a whale is a a minor bit player in the story of Jonah. And if you look at it from the very beginning, what do you first see in Jonah? Let's, Let's look at the first three verses of Jonah. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah... Rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board, and he to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. At the very outset, Jonah begins with the word of the Lord. And how does Jonah end? In the very end, in Jonah 4:2, it ends with God inquiring of Jonah in the manner of Job. Where he asks Jonah a rhetorical question, he says, "Should I not have pity on that city of Nineveh with 120,000 people and also animals?" which, by the way, God cares about animals?" That's interesting to note there. And, and so really, from the very beginning to the very end, it is all about God. The, the main character in the story isn't really even Jonah. He is, he is the player in the story through whom we see God. And we see who God is and how God works and how God relates to people. But Jonah is not primarily about a whale. So, so let's, even though I just introduced that into your heads, I think we all come with that presupposition. Oh, we're going to hear a story about Jonah and the whale. Well, the whale is maybe going to play a minor part in one or two messages as we go through this series. But the major player in this account is the one who at the very beginning sends his word. He's the one who calls to Jonah and tells Jonah to get up and respond, get up, do something in response, get up and go and show mercy through pronouncing judgment. That's very interesting, the very first three verses, and we're going to focus really on those first three verses as we kind of look at an overview of the book of Jonah today. But really, the book of Jonah, it begins with God, it ends with God, it's all about God, God. In fact, if you flip over in Jonah 2, verse 9, there are, there's one key that Jonah makes a statement there in Jonah 2, verse 9. He, he makes a statement that's key to the entire book. And he says in Jonah 2, verse 9, he says, "'Salvation belongs to the Lord.'" He finally gets it in this account. He has not listened to God. He's rebelled against God. He tried to run away from God. And then God rescues him mercifully with a whale. The whale wasn't punishment. The whale was a rescue. And then after the whale rescues him and vomits him back up, which is an act of God's mercy he realizes something. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's the central point, really, this thread that goes throughout the book. And then if you look at the end of Jonah, it says God makes a statement. So we have Jonah's statement, and then we have God's statement. And together we can really see what this book is all about. In Jonah 4.11, God says, and should I not pity or have compassion or have mercy? Should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle. So we see both Jonah's revelation in this book, salvation belongs to the Lord, and we see God's revelation. Should I not have pity? Should I not have compassion? Should I not have mercy? And that answer is really meant to be a resounding yes. As you read that final verse in Jonah as you heard it today when God leaves that question out there it's a rhetorical question he's like Jonah really should I not have mercy should I not have pity and that's what we see all throughout this little book there's this this thread that runs all throughout this book and it's really the mercy of God you see this book is all about the sovereign mercy of God. God mercifully speaks to Jonah. It's, it's merciful when people hear God's voice. He is merciful in wanting to send Jonah to his enemies. And then at the, all throughout the book, we see God has mercy on Jonah when Jonah rebels and disobeys God. You know, we, we all think, well, oh man, God's going to totally get him. No, no. God actually brings the storm to bring Jonah to his senses, to see his need for God. God mercifully rescues him when he was at the point of death. That, that language that we heard, the, these weeds are wrapped around me. I'm at the root of the, of the mountains. He's at the bottom of the sea. Most likely he had passed out. His lungs were filled with water. And what does God do? God has mercy on him. And he doesn't stop there. After that, God says, okay, I'm going to give you another chance because God's got a mercy. And so he sends Jonah again, and Jonah goes to the Ninevites. And then God doesn't destroy Nineveh. Why? Because he has pity. He has mercy on them. That's, that's the theme all throughout that, all throughout the book of Jonah. That's, that's the theme. And, and so what we're going to look at this morning is that in his mercy, God speaks so that people will respond to him. That's that's the thing we're going to look at this morning, is that in his mercy, God speaks so that people will respond to him. You know, God didn't have to speak to Jonah. He he didn't have to send Jonah. He, he He didn't need Jonah. He didn't have to respond when Jonah warned the Ninevites. But God's a God of mercy, so he sent his word. He sent his word to Jonah. He sent his word so that people of Nineveh would hear and respond and repent. God is merciful, so he gives us his word so that we can respond to him. But what do we see is that, to begin with, Jonah, he he hears God's voice. Now, for us today, we might take that for granted, but they didn't take it for granted in the Old Testament. It was unusual. It was rare for people to receive God's word. And the very first thing we see in this verse first is that God's servant hears his word. God's servant hears his word. It says, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now imagine if your name was Jonah and you were the son of Amittai and, and the word of the Lord came to you. What a merciful thing. What a great privilege that you could hear God's word. Think about it. One of the the very first effects that happened after man sinned in the Garden of Eden was he was cast out of God's presence. He was no longer able to to walk and talk and commune with God in the same way, and yet God would not leave man alone. He would send his word to his prophets over the years. He would send his word in the Old Testament to Abraham and call Abraham out. He would send his word to the prophets, and, and he would send his word. Why Because God desires to draw people to him through his word. God gets things done through his word. His word is active, it's powerful, it's mighty. His word is personal. And Jonah, here he has a personal word from God. God did not stop speaking to mankind. And God spoke to Jonah. God spoke to Moses to give his law. God spoke to his prophets to reveal himself. God warns his people time after time. And here again we see that God is giving his word to Jonah. That was no minor thing. It was a major thing that Jonah would get to hear God's word. What an immense privilege that he could hear God speak. That God would condescend to the level of man to speak. And we know that he heard God's word regularly too. Um, the, the only other place in the Bible that Jonah is mentioned is in 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings 14, it, it gives this little background to Jonah, and it uses, calls him the same thing, the son of Amittai, and it gives us background to him, and it says in 2 Kings 14, 23, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Naboth. Which he caused Israel to commit. Now, listen for a second. In contrast to his evil, here's what God does and how God uses Jeroboam. It says he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Libo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through His servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel. Whether slave or free was suffering, there was no one to help them. And since the Lord had said he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. And he did that by sending his word. God's word was was meant to have an effect. God's God's word was priceless. God's, God's word was what caused Jeroboam to expand the borders to kick out the Assyrians that actually Jonah now is being commanded to go to. And so God, through his word, restores his people's boundaries. Even in the midst of their sin, God sends his word as a mercy. He had called Amos and Hosea, which, by the way, were contemporaries of Jonah. If you're trying to figure out when did Jonah live and when did he write, he wrote around the same time as Amos and Hosea. And they were sent to prophesy against God's enemies. And, and Amos actually prophesies against the Assyrians But Jonah, this son of Amittai from Gath-Hefer, he was called to help Jeroboam expand the borders of Israel. And and he was was called to to be a means of reestablishing the nation against the Assyrians. And we know kind of when Jonah was active because of Jeroboam II's reign. We know that took place somewhere in the mid to late 8th century, somewhere between 753, 782. And God had given his word to Jonah in the past, and and he sent him to be a messenger. So Jonah was used to hearing God's word, but now God's word was different. It was different for Jonah. He was before used to expand Israel's borders and to to push the Assyrians out, but now God has a different word for him. And, And Jonah, it doesn't sit so well doesn't sit very well for Jonah. But Jonah he had he had heard God's word speak to him. He had he had the spirit of the Lord in a unique way. And what does he do with God's word? You see, when God when God speaks Things happen. And Jonah knew that. He saw that himself. When, when God spoke, he saw that God used him speaking to reestablish Israel. He saw that God speaking results in people being redeemed and, and people are delivered and enemies are routed and people repent and God judges people through his word. And so Jonah knew that God's word is powerful and it has an effect. And Jonah also knew that God shows mercy through his word. And Jonah knew that God's word was precious, but what does he do with God's word in, in this passage? He He doesn't like it. It's difficult. He he doesn't count it for the great priceless treasure that it is. He rejects it when it's difficult to swallow. And there's something that ever learned from us too is, is do we see God's word as precious? Do we see God's word for the priceless treasure that it is? Do we see that when God speaks, things happen? When God speaks, He makes alive, He redeems, He rescues, He restores, He delivers. When God speaks, He brings judgment. When God speaks, He brings mercy. Do we see God's word as precious? That was how He intended for Jonah to respond. How do we respond to God's word? Do we realize the great privilege that we have today? You know, in Jonah's day, he didn't have the Old and now the New Testament. He didn't have all of these things written down. He, he had a few pieces of God's Word. He, he likely had the Pentateuch. He, he had pieces of God's Word, but he didn't have the richness that we have, the fullness of God's Word. And now in the New Testament, the Bible says that we, all that we need for life and godliness is in God's Word. Do you see it that way? Do you see the fact that we've received God's word and that's how we get life? And that's how we know how to live godly lives. Do we see that God's word is meant to bring us mercy? Yes, God's word speaks word of justice, but it also speaks a word of mercy. Do you see the love of grace and grace of God in his word for you today? You see, there's a privilege to hear his word. Jonah here, he discounted God's word. He discounted the privilege of hearing God's word, which was interesting because there weren't many people who could hear from God. And yet, he, he, he chooses to say, I don't like that. I don't want to listen to God's word. How do you listen to God's word? How do we listen to God's word? Are we attentive? Do we say, God, I want to receive from you whatever you say. I want to receive from your word no matter what it tells me. And how do you come to hear God's word preached? How do you, when you wake up in the morning and you go to his word, are you eager to hear his words? Do you see them as life-giving? Do you see that that's where you receive mercy? How do you treat God's word? Through his word, his people are redeemed and delivered and enemies routed and he gives us mercy. And then the next thing we see in this opening passage is not only God giving his word to Jonah, but God's servant is called to respond to his word. When God speaks, he He expects a response. Why? Because God's word is living and active and powerful. God's word demands a response. We can't hear God's word and then go away and do nothing with it. We're meant to respond to God's word, even when it bothers us. He tells Jonah to do something in response to hearing his word. He says, arise and go. He expects Jonah to respond to his word, to arise and go. Jonah, I want you to get up I don't want you to go. You know, if I tell my children to get up and and go and do something, it's because I really want that to happen. Now, it doesn't always. Now, most of the time it does, and we're really grateful for that. When it doesn't, we need to follow through. Why? Not because we don't like our kids, but because we we need to teach our kids. We need to train our kids that there's an authority greater than them, and it's not them. It's God has given us an authority. And so we need to help train them to respond. Not because we don't like them, but because we love them. But we expect a response. God expects when he speaks for people to respond to his word. Not because he's mean, not because he's vindictive or he wants to punish, but because God actually wants what is best, which is for us to live by his word. To hear his word, to respond to his word. And so... God expects Jonah to obey him. But there's something unique about the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of those rare prophetic books where we don't have a lot of prophecy. We only have two places where there's prophetic words spoken when God commands him in the very beginning to go and preach against them, to call out against them. And then he tells them, yet, yet 40 days and God will destroy none of it." That's nearly the extent of all we see prophecy in that. But But Jonah is a prophetic book in the sense of it's God sending a prophet. And how does the prophet respond to God's word? And then how does God make known his mercy? So Jonah's a little unique. And what we really see in in this book is primarily Jonah's bad attitudes, right? We see God speaking and Jonah not liking it. You ever have God speak in his word and you don't like it? Anybody here ever have that happen to you? You ever have God bring something to you and you're not too fond of it? And you're like, I don't like that. Love my neighbor I'm good with, maybe, or love my people that I like, but love my enemies? Bless those who spitefully use you? I don't think so. I don't like that. And that's essentially what he's telling Jonah to do, is to go and be a blessing to the people that Jonah hates. He hates the Ninevites, and we see that. And he has a bad attitude about it. Now you have to understand a little bit of the background to understand why does Jonah respond so poorly? Why does he have such a bad attitude? You know, why why is Jonah continually rebelling here? Well, it's because God doesn't act like Jonah thinks he should. Right? You You ever encounter that in your own life? God doesn't act the way that you think he should. You know, it's all through the Bible, right? God God is not like man. He doesn't act like we think he should. And that's really good for us. You see, if somebody mistreats us, it's not in our nature to say, oh, okay, now I'm going to show you mercy. And yet that's how God is. And so Jonah doesn't like that. He's not fond of that, and it's, it's important to know a little bit about the background. What is Nineveh? Nineveh was a city in Assyria, and Assyria back then was a major world power, and it was in the region. I think I have a map for you somewhere. I think did the map make it up there? Perfect. So the Syrian empire is over there to the right of Israel, And it's in in the area between the Tigris and Euphrates. They had become a dominant world power probably about 70 or 80 years prior to this. Um, They had already been in the practice of kidnapping people from Israel and terrorizing Israel. They were the ancient terrorists. And when I say that, I mean that with every bit of the word. They were far worse than any terrorist you can think of today. They didn't have bombs, but they did egregious things to people. They, they wanted to terrorize their enemies. They were bloody. They were gruesome. And so Assyria was not a fan of Israel. They were enemies of Israel. And Nineveh was one of the chief cities there on the Tigris River. They were actually, if you want to figure out where that is in, in relation to modern day, that would be the, the country of Iraq, right across the river from where Mosul is. And Nineveh was a major city. It was a major city, and it was known to be a city of blood. And so God says, "Hey, Jonah, I want you to leave here. You're in Jerusalem here. I want you to go from here, and I want you to go east to Nineveh, because I want you to carry a message to them. I want you to call out against them. That's my word to Nineveh. I want you to call out against them. And you have to think, okay, well, why does, why does he struggle with this? Well, Nineveh, not only were they a major power, they were brutal, they would kidnap people, they were so wicked, they would commit huge atrocities in the name of conquest and expansion. They already had been, and they, they currently were, and they soon would be even bigger threat to Israel, And what's interesting is, the book of Jonah, when it's written maybe a few years after these things take place, and that's probably about when Assyria would come in, 40 years or so after Jonah, somewhere in that time frame, after Jonah went to Nineveh, Assyria would come and carry away the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel and put them in captivity. And so, there's this looming threat... And he expects Jonah to go to Nineveh, this place where they would behead people and and torture them publicly, these grotesque public executions. They they were known in the ancient world for being especially brutal. This, This wasn't normal brutality. This was extreme brutality. These were the antithesis of God's people who were pure and called to be holy and set apart for God. These were people who hated God's people. Imagine you know, what that would have been like to have to go there. You know, The early readers of the book of Jonah, they would have, they would have seen, that, wait a minute, God is calling Jonah to go to Assyria, to Nineveh? They're our enemies, we hate them. They hate us, they kidnap us, they torture us. Aren't we God's covenant people? Because they were. They were God's own special people. And they were called to be apart from God's people. And in the Old Testament, Jonah is a first because all of the other prophets, they would, a couple of them would prophesy against other nations, but they do it from their own nation. Jonah's the first prophet that we see in the Old Testament is actually called to go to that nation, to take God's word to call people to respond to God's word, but to take God's word to the nations. It's, it's a, a missionary prophecy, really. It's a missionary book. God, God's calling Jonah to do something which, at that time, they knew they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. They just didn't want to have to go there. They weren't God's chosen people, those people in Nineveh. They were idolaters. They didn't serve God. They didn't care about God. They didn't know God. And so needless to say, the people of Israel would not have been neutral to the Assyrians or Ninevites, and Jonah wouldn't have either, especially because his prophecies helped kick them out and expand the borders of Israel. So Jonah, to say the least, probably didn't like them very much. And God wants him to go so that the Ninevites would repent. Their evil had not gone unnoticed by God. Look at the language in verse two. He says that their evil has come up before me. That's pretty graphic language. It, it's, it's really a picture of, of this garbage heap smell coming up before God. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a dump. When you go to a dump, it is vile, and you smell all those smells mixed together, and it's terrible not even like going to a dumpster, let alone a dump, and yet God says their their, their evil has wafted up before me, and it stinks. And, And what you expect, if you're an Israelite, to hear from God's word is command them that I'm going to go, or tell them I'm going to go, and I'm going to punish them. And you're like, yeah, all right, God, get them. But Jonah knows that's not what God is doing. He knows that God is actually giving his word because he wants people to respond to his word. And Jonah doesn't like that. That's what Jonah's responding to. He's not responding to judgment. He's responding because he knows that when God gives his word of judgment, and so people can respond. And he's like, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that. How do I know that? Well, look and flip it over in your Bible to Jonah 4. Flip over in Jonah 4, and by the way, bring your Bibles in the series in Jonah. But flip over to Jonah 4. Here's how Jonah responds after the people of Nineveh repent to his preaching. Here's how Jonah responds. He says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And what? He was angry. Now, why was he angry? It explains why he was angry. We get inside Jonah's head here and he says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, isn't this what I said to you when I was yet in my country? Oh, this is why Jonah doesn't want to go because he knows when God speaks a word of judgment, he wants people to respond to him. He wants to extend mercy. So so look in Jonah 4.2, he says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew And he's not happy about this, by the way. He's saying this with an attitude. He's saying, for I knew, I knew, God, when you spoke a word of judgment, it was because you wanted people to respond to you. He says, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, when we hear those words, we think, oh, that's really good, Right? God's a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. We could stop and worship there, right? That's good. Not to Jonah because this was the Ninevites. He didn't want to go. He knew at the very beginning when God says, call out against them, he says, I knew you were going to do that and that's exactly why I went down to Tar." Instead of going up and obeying you and there's just positive imagery, he says, I went down, I went down to Joppa. And then I went down into that ship because, God, I don't like that you don't do things the way I think you should. I don't like, God, the fact that you are a God of mercy instead of just carrying out your justice and punishing the people I don't like. I think we can relate to a little bit of that, can't we? You know, there are people probably that you feel deserve God's justice, that do deserve God's justice, that you don't like and yet God's calls his word to be carried out for his his words of justice to be communicated so that people will respond to him and he can show mercy. And Jonah though has a problem because he knows that God's word is effective. It results in things. God desires to show mercy to Nineveh through proclaiming his justice and so he runs. Instead of obeying God, he does just the opposite. What do you do? What do we do when we don't like what God says? When it's difficult, when it's uncomfortable. Jonah runs here. He says, I don't like God's word. And it's not surprising. To, to put yourself in Jonah's shoes for just a minute, think about ISIS, okay? The Islamic State. They have engaged in gross terrorism. They have committed unspeakable atrocities, crimes, global terrorism. Imagine that you were personally affected by them, maybe uh, friends and family members, relatives of yours have been kidnapped, horribly brutalized, murdered by ISIS. Now imagine that God is saying, hey, I want you to go to, let's say, Raqqa, it's, it's the, the stronghold of where ISIS still remains. And I want you to go to the place where Abu al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, is and go to Raqqa. And I want you to go and call out against them. You, you might have some issues with that. Especially if they brutalized and killed your friends and your relatives. They'd taken them away captive. They would kidnapped them. You would have some concerns about that. Yes, I know that we all think, oh, turn the other cheek. But when when something's happening to you and your friends and your family, it is not so easy. And so not only that, it would have been a little physically intimidating as well. Can you imagine right now? Okay, get on a plane, go to Raqqa, and go in the middle of the town square where they recently beheaded some folks. Go there, call out against them, and tell them that that they're all going to be wiped out unless they repent, and see how well that goes for you. So Jonah would have been scared for his physical safety probably as well, but the bigger thing is he, was, he didn't like it because he knew that God's word was able to transform them, to cause them to repent, and he struggled with it, with people he hated getting mercy people who did deserve justice. And can you imagine? Okay, let's say, do you really want ISIS to receive justice or do you want them to receive mercy? If they kill your friends and your family, would you want them to receive God's mercy? In his grace, God's not like us. He's not like us at all. And so Jonah, in effect, says by his actions, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't like it. That doesn't even seem fair. How in the world can God let bad things happen like that? That's how we respond today as well. How could, how could God let bad things happen like this? It, is, is God not a God of justice? And so Jonah says, no, I'm going I'm I'm to go my own way. Now, when it says he tried to leave the presence of the Lord, it doesn't mean that Jonah actually thought he, he, that he was going to go somewhere where God wouldn't see him. No, he was going to go from where God's manifest presence was. He was going to go away from God's people, go away from where God had called him to be, where people knew about God. He didn't want to be reminded of God. He wanted anything to do with God. He was like, I'm going to go my own way. I don't like this. And somehow, else, sometimes we respond that way as well. When we don't like God's word, I don't want anything to do with God's people. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want to hear from God. I don't want anything about to do with God. Jonah goes away. There's something about nationalities here as well. He, he doesn't like the fact that he's called to go to a different nationality. He doesn't like the fact he's called to go to people who aren't like him, who he doesn't like. He's thinking about my attitude, our attitudes. Who, who do we go to? Who are we willing to go to to carry God's word to? You know, we have the good news of the gospel, which the gospel message is both a message of justice and mercy, right? It's a message that, that says you have sinned against God and you can't be right with him and your sins deserve punishment from God. But here's the good news. Repent and believe and God will show you mercy and rescue you, save you. But are there people in your life that you're not willing to go to who you don't think deserve mercy? Maybe, maybe you wouldn't actually say that, but maybe in your attitudes. Maybe there's people that you have an attitude against. Maybe it's somebody of a different political party that you have an attitude about because you don't like that political party of those people, right? Especially in this climate today. You know, maybe, do you have attitudes against people who you think are wrong? Do you have attitudes against people who sinned against you, against your family, against people who've committed bad things? Or do you think, you know, I, I want to carry God's word to them so that they receive mercy like I've received mercy. Jonah had forgotten. He he didn't have a long memory. He had a very short memory in remembering what God has done for him. God had mercy. And then even after God shows him mercy and rescues him from the depths, and he's on the bottom of the ocean is this imagery, and God, when he's, he's passed out, God takes this whale and scoops him up and rescues him. And then Jonah seemingly repents, but then God doesn't still work the way he wants. And so Jonah's like, No! Because he's forgotten God's mercy to him personally. He doesn't realize he personally needed the word of God. He he personally needed God's mercy. And so that was a motivation to take God's word of mercy to others. This little book challenges us. How do you respond when we receive God's word? How do you respond when God calls you to take his word to other people? Do you realize that his word it gives life. It's meant to cause people to respond and to repent. His word is powerful. Do you, now Jonah got that part, and that's why he didn't like it. But do you understand that? Do you understand that God's word is powerful and that when you speak God's word, and I was actually encouraged by this thinking about that, um, one thing that Jonah did understand is, hey, when I speak God's word, people repent and respond. Do you know that when you are given the, the message of the gospel, that that word, that God's word, causes people to repent, repent and respond. I think that's great. The reason for why Jonah didn't like God's word is because he knew God's word was effective and, it, and people responded. Sometimes, I, don't, I think we don't even know that, that God's word is so powerful that when we speak God's word, people might respond. That's awesome. That should give us confidence there. That, but do we want to give God's mercy to other people? Do we want to extend God's mercy? Are we obedient in taking God's word to others? Or do we try to run from his presence when we disagree? What does, what does Jonah do in verse 3? He says, He goes down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He, he knew he couldn't escape it, but he was trying to do whatever he could to run away from God. And he was going away from the place he needed the most God's very presence. You know, we can try to run from God's presence too. You're never going to go too far away from God. Tarshish was the furthest away that you could get from Israel in the, in the known ancient world. Some people think it was, it was probably on, on the coast of Spain. It was, it was far away. That was, that was the outer reaches of the modern world back then. He wanted to go as far away. You know, sometimes when we don't like God, we don't go to him. When we sin, we try to run away. We try to go our own way. Like Jonah, though, there's, when, we, when we want to go away from God, there's always going to be a ship waiting if we look for it, right? You know, don't think, don't use the, the bad theology that says, well, if this is God's will, then, then there'll, you know, it, he'll prove it because there'll be an open door. Well, Jonah had an open ship here. He had an open door that does not necessarily constitute God's will here. It's actually the reverse, Okay? When Jonah wants to find a way to go away from God, oh, it's going to appear. Why? Because the devil's going to make those things available. You want to go away from God? You want to leave God's will? You want to go away from what God has? Oh, there's always going to be a way to get away from God. There's always going to be a way that you can take you away from God's presence. Now, in one sense, that's not true, because you'll never go too far away from God's presence where he can't rescue you. But when you look for something to take you away It's it's gonna always be available when you look for it. He goes down and he finds it. Hey, the furthest place I can think to go away, I found a ship. And so he paid the price. He paid the fare. That language is kind of loaded. He pays the fare, and instead of arising, what happens? There's this poetic imagery. He pays the fare. He goes down. He goes down the Joppa. He goes down onto the ship. Down away from the presence of the Lord. There will always be something if you're looking for something to distract you from his presence, some sin, some distraction. Jonah tries to flee. He, he rebels like the prodigal son. He tries to go away. But the thing that Jonah needed most was the presence of God personally. The, the person God that Jonah needed most was God himself. I mean, just think about what Jonah's doing. He, he's doing, he's he's, he's committing the same sins that Adam and Eve thought that they would be better on their own if it was their way, if, if they understood things. And Jonah's like, no, I don't want things that, like God says they're supposed to be. I want to go my own way. I want to try things on my own. It doesn't work out, and it won't work out for you. It won't work out for me. Whenever we try to say, you know, God, I want to go my own way, it doesn't work out, and that's what we see all throughout the book of Jonah. It doesn't work out. The person that Jonah needed the most, though, that he should have wanted the most, was God. When when mankind was kicked out of the garden, it was a terrible thing because he was removed from the presence of God. That was the greatest punishment. And Jonah willingly takes himself away from God's presence. But the thing that he needed the most was the presence of God where there's blessing, where there's mercy, where there's grace. The goodness and fullness of God is what he needed the most and he was trying to run from because that's what sin does. It corrupts our thinking, it corrupts our mind into thinking that God is evil. God doesn't know what's best for us and we don't want anything to do with him. And God in his mercy says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you do that. We try to run from God. Bad things happen, not because God's punishing you meanly, but because God wants you to draw you back to him. God mercifully doesn't let Jonah go. He causes the storm to kick up, and we're gonna see that in a few weeks. And, And then we see that he sends a fish in his mercy. He was merciful to Jonah. He was merciful because Jonah was his chosen man. Because Jonah was a part of his chosen people. God desires to show mercy to his people. And he desires to show mercy to those who don't know him, who are enemies against him. And if you're here today and you are an enemy of God, if, you, if you're going your own way, if you are, have rebelled against God, if you've not turned to God and repented and believed in Him, he, he wants you to hear that your evil has risen up to Him so that you'll respond and repent and believe. That your sins deserve His punishment. And yet He wants you to receive His mercy. He wants you to come into His presence and receive His mercy. God wasn't obligated to choose a people. He wasn't obligated to show mercy to individuals. He wasn't obligated to show mercy to Jonah, to speak mercifully. He wasn't obligated to give his word to the Ninevites. But God is a God of mercy, and Jonah knew that. And what do we need the most? Let's not run from God's presence. Let's see in Jonah, this is the first mistake he made, was when he didn't like God's word, when it didn't suit his way of thinking He tries to run from God's presence. It doesn't end well. Don't run from the mercy of God. Don't run from the presence of God. His presence is the one place where mercy and grace can be found. And here's the great thing, because Jesus took the justice that you and I deserve, we now can receive his mercy. And so it says in Hebrews that we now can come into his presence to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And by the way, you and I were like these Ninevites. We weren't God's people. And yet his word has come to us. And God speaks his word and says, no, repent and believe. Why? And if you turn, I will show you mercy. His presence is the one place where his mercy and grace is found. Let's not run from his presence. We think, how could Jonah do that? Yet we do that every day. When you sin, when you turn away from him, turn back to him and say, God, let me receive mercy and grace from you. It's foolish to try to run. And and as you read this tale, you're meant to see the foolishness of running from God. You're meant to see that. You're meant to see that. Why would he do that? Doesn't he know you can't do that anyway? Don't you know you can't do that anyway? And why in the world would you want to? God's a God of mercy. Hear his voice. Respond. Receive his mercy. And go and carry to others. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.